very pleasant good evening, everyone, and boy, is it a pleasant good evening. Glad to have you along tonight for this week's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. It's our weekly get-together to sit back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians, and I've got to say before we ever go down south to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, it is a little more pleasant week to speak about Reds and Indians baseball, even though I think there's more consternation this week about the Indians than there is about the Reds. Mark, would you agree or disagree? I agree. It was a tough week for the Indians, and the Reds uh, were very effective this week. I'll say it that way. They won two out of three in back-to-back series, and that's what that team has to do to get back in the race. But the Indians, hard times befell the Indians this week. Yeah, it wasn't a very good week for the Indians, especially defensively. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. Don't forget our Ask Us segment. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, you can email us your questions to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also send us a tweet at OHBBCoHost or at Alt Sports Talk, U-L-T Sports Talk. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. We've already got... A couple of good questions here tonight, Mark. No guest on tonight's show. We did have somebody scheduled, but they had to back out at the last second. We're going to get into uh, a lot about the Reds and the Indians tonight and, of course, the big brawl that happened yesterday between Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, and that seems to be a big discussion amongst the uh, national media this week, but we'll get into that in our second half hour. But let's start out tonight. We usually start out with the Reds. Let's start out with the Indians here this evening, Mark, on on tonight's show. And I'll tell you, when you're looking at a team that is going to contend for the playoffs, you cannot play defensive baseball the way the Indians have played it over the first three weeks of the season. They lead the American League in errors, and you just can't do that, Mark. You just cannot play the kind of defensive ball that the Indians are playing right now. Well, defense is, is part of pitching. And those two are in they're they're linked. Uh, and if you cannot play defense, it's hard to get good pitching because pitching relies on defense. So while it, it appears that the the defense is bad, look at the ERAs and the impact poor defense has on the ERA of a team. And secondly, poor defense is not just errors. It is not covering the field as you should to help your pick to, to, to pick up your pitchers so their ERA stay down. So if you have a, a weak, say, center fielder who doesn't cover the ground uh, like McCutcheon does for the Pirates, you're gonna your ERA of pitchers is going to be much higher. So defense is more than errors, but that that's a good place to start in doing an analysis of it. That and two other things, Mark, especially in this cold weather. When you commit an error, you're out in the field a lot longer than you actually should be, and you're asking your pitcher to pick up a defense that has not picked him up. Plus the fact you also got to look at the second point, pitch counts. These pitchers are on definite pitch counts early in, early in the year, probably more so than later in the year, and in this cold weather to throw excess pitches like they have to when a defense like the Indians has been playing as sporadically as it has been, really puts a toll on your starting pitching. Uh, I'm curious. I've not been following the specifics, only really the scores, but what has been the defense uh, by Cabrera so far this year? Um, Cabrera is still playing some good defense. The problem with him is his lack of patience at the bat. If I've got one complaint about his Drupal Cabrera this year, it's the fact that when he is patient, he still turns it into impatience, if you understand where I'm going from with this. He seems to be impatient, Mark, when he gets up to the plate with runners in scoring position. He thinks he's got to jump right after that first or second pitch. But when he comes up with nobody on base, Mark, then he seems to drag the count out. I've seen him three different times this year so far get to a 3-0 and count and jump on that very next pitch and ground out to the shortstop or second baseman. Three times he's done that this year, and that's what I mean by he turns patience into impatience. He just can't take the walk. He's got to really get around that. I think the pressure of this being his contract year, Mark, 
and the possibility of the Indians dangling him at the trade deadline or even a big contract at the end of this season is starting to take its toll on him. Well, when you have the, the kind of team that, that Cleveland has, and I, I would rate them, and maybe you disagree, but I would rate them really in the, in the I guess, the lower end of the top ten. I don't see them as a, as a top five or six or seven team. I see them maybe ranked eighth, ninth, or tenth. Uh, you've got to play defense. When you don't have that overwhelming offense or that dominant pitching, neither, frankly, do the, do the Indians have, You've got to play defense. If you don't do that, you don't give your team a chance. Mark, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If they are in the top ten right now, they're in that lower eight, nine, ten. But, Mark, even as sporadically as they've played defense so far this year, they're still eight and ten, which is the exact same record they had last year when they won 92 games. Now, they are in last place in the American League Central, but that's really a misnomer right now because... Last place has got them two and a half games behind Detroit, and they split with Detroit last week. Really should have won both games in that series with Detroit. The first game, of course, being rained out. And the Indians were two and three on the week as they lost two out of three to the Toronto Blue Jays, and they should have taken two out of three against the Blue Jays, losing only that Saturday game that they lost 5 nothing against Mark Burley. So, all in all... As much as I complain about the Indians' defense and what they have done, this team is still on par to do what they did a year ago, and that is win 92 games and win the number one wild card spot in the American League playoffs. So I guess I shouldn't complain that much, but still, this team doesn't seem to be as good as last year's team at this point in time. Well, let me throw a little cold water on, on the 92-win season <laughs> last year. Uh, if I recall, and I forget when it was, I'm sure you will remember, they went on a rather lengthy winning streak. And I forget how many games it was. Was it 10? 10. Or was it 10 in a row? Uh, the likelihood of that happening again this year is pretty remote. <clears throat> Teams don't run off 10 in a row like that. And uh, it's, you know, that can change the entire dynamic of a season. And, and I heard Reds fans saying, well, this reminds them of 212 when the Reds, I think it was 212, uh, when the Reds came back and I think they won 27 out of 32 games uh, to get back in the race. That's not going to happen again. Th- th- those are abnormalities in a season. And if you're relying on th- those kinds of streaks from your team, uh, you're in for some disappointment. This doesn't happen that often. So I think both the Reds and the Indians, and again, I said this at the beginning of the year, I'll say it again, I think the Reds are an overall better team than the Indians. Both these teams can make the playoffs, but I'm firmly convinced they're not going to make the playoffs with the current rosters that they have. Oh, Mark, my jittery friend, you. Uh, You know my affinity towards the Cleveland media and the sports talk radio shows. Did you get up early this morning and start listening to some of the sports talk radio shows in Cleveland? No, I would never do that. (laughs) Well, you bring up a point that they brought up this morning that the Indians should not uh, think that they can go on another 10-game winning streak and make the playoffs the way that they did a year ago. And I'm going to ask you the same question that I would have loved to ask them today. What difference does a 10-game winning streak make if it was in April or September? You still won the 10 games in a row. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Whether it's April or September, it doesn't matter. My, my point is that winning 10 in a row is an abnormality, and you don't, you can't depend on that happening again. So if either of these teams fall behind appreciably, 8, 9, 10 games behind, uh, it's going to be awfully tough for these rosters to come back and, and overcome that with some kind of miraculous winning streak. <clears throat> not with these teams. They're, they're just not capable, I don't think. For the Reds, it's offense. They don't have the offense to win 8, 10, 12 games in a row. And with the Indians, I think it's their starting pitching. I don't think it will allow them the consistency you would need to go on an extended winning streak. Mark, the Indians made two moves this week, 
one that was extremely puzzling to me. First of all, today, they activated Jason Giambi off the disabled list, and they optioned right-handed reliever Blake Wood to AAA Columbus. Now, before anybody starts singing the blues over losing Blake Wood, uh, he is a right-handed version of Araldus Chapman, Mark, only he can't control the ball. Uh, he throws the ball anywhere from 100 to 104 miles an hour, but he has absolutely no idea uh, where it's going to go. He is the epitome of Charlie Sheen and Wild Thing in Major League. Now, the other move that the Indians made last week that I was really confused about, Mark, and really I, I'm having a tough time understanding this move, was when they activated Michael Bourne off the disabled list and sent Niger, uh, Niger Morgan to Columbus. Now, Morgan was hitting 348 during the time that he was leading off for the Tribe. But when they went into Chicago, for some reason, Mark, the last three ball games before they brought Bourne back up in the, to lead off in the Detroit series, they just quit playing Morgan. They put Cabrera at the leadoff spot, and suddenly they didn't have that catalyst at the top of the batting order. And they still don't, because Michael Bourne is hitting 118 coming into tonight's game, and he struck out twice in tonight's game in three at-bats. So I'm not quite sure why they thought they had to send Niger Morgan down and keep Elliott Johnson up here, but they did it, and I don't agree with it. I think they're, it's proving that that was the wrong move. Well, Niger Morgan, as you said, beginning of the year, you thought he could make a contribution to the Indians, and you know, you come up and you hit 348 for the first couple of weeks of the season. I'm not sure what else you're supposed to do <laughs> other than hit 348. So they must have – maybe he was weak defensively or whatever, but you would think that uh, he provided them what they needed. And uh, I think Michael Bourne certainly is a fine player, but why would you not keep – I mean, in your opinion, why would they not keep – Niger Morgan on the roster, but they bring up uh, who was you know the, the guy you just mentioned that they signed uh, today. Uh, back Jason up. Giambi. Jason Giambi. I mean, it, it would seem that Niger Morgan provides more tools for that manager to use: speed, defense, stealing a base, higher batting average than Giambi. I, I don't understand that. I agree with you. I and they've got Giambi in the lineup tonight, and he's 0 for three. Uh, matter of fact, Alcides Escobar, the shortstop for Kansas City, they put this they put the shift on, and Kansas City runs that shift just a little bit different, Mark, where they put the three infielders on the right side of second base for a left-handed hitter like Giambi. They take their third baseman and they put him behind second, and they let the shortstop play his normal position. So they do it a little bit different than other teams do. Giambi hit just a routine foul ball just to the left of the third base coach's box, and Escobar, in the last inning to end the inning, ran about 120 feet. He was lined up almost directly behind second base. Ran all the way over past the third base coach's box and made a diving catch on that foul ball. It was one of the most outstanding plays I've seen a shortstop make in a long time, and that is going to be one of ESPN's top ten coming up tomorrow. So if you get a chance, just watch the top ten, because I know that's going to be on there. If it's not, he's been robbed. Just an excellent play by Escobar. But Giambi's 0 for 3 tonight. He's not bringing anything to the lineup. I know Francona loves him as a bench presence, Mark, but a bench presence with a 150 to 190 batting average only goes so far. Well, we talked about this before, and, and uh, you know, I think there's a diminishing return with that kind of emotional stuff. It, it has a place, but at some point, baseball is a game of production. And if you can't produce, you shouldn't be on the roster, and inevitably he won't be. So if he's going to have another year hitting 190, uh, I don't think he's going to be up very long. Okay, we're going to get into the Indians hitting and their starting pitching coming here in just a few minutes, but let's move over and talk about the Reds. They're playing tonight with Pittsburgh. Last I knew, they were down in the ball game, Mark, but they are also, they have the same 8-10 and 10 record, but they're in third place in the division. Still, 
They're five and a half games behind Milwaukee entering tonight's action, but they finished four and two on the week, and they won two out of three in Chicago, and they've won six of their last ten. So I would say that probably the switch in the lineup, Votto to second, Phillips to third, has panned out so far. It's interesting. They had, uh, in the second inning of the Reds game tonight, they related some statistics that since the that move took place, that the Reds lead Major League Baseball in average on-base percentage, home runs, and runs scored. <laughs> and if I recall, a guy by the name of Dave Mitchell, uh, before the season even started, said to me, Mark, why don't the Reds put Votto number two and then put Phillips number three? And I said, David, you are a brilliant person. I don't understand why they aren't doing that. And lo and behold, they do it, and your baseball knowledge has again proved to be prophetic, and I have the utmost respect for you. Well, you know, and and I think the announcer said, Aaron Boone especially tonight, he said, um, you know, Joey Votto's bat has warmed up. He thought that his bat would have warmed up even batting second. But, you know, the one thing about it, Mark, Billy Hamilton has started getting on base. And with Billy Hamilton on base, that means more fastballs for Votto, and I think that has really been the key to Votto starting to hit. That's true. And I don't know if you saw what happened in the first inning tonight, but uh, yes, <laughs> there was a ground ball. Uh, Billy Hamilton, for those of you who missed it, was on first base, and there was a, there was a ground ball back to the pitcher, and uh, he, he kind of took his time and threw the first. And Hamilton didn't stop. Went all the way to third base and made it easy and then scored uh, later on in the inning for the Reds' first run at a, a close play at the plate. So uh, on a ground ball to the third baseman, he, he stole yeah. that run. And, you know, if the kid just hits 240 and has a 320 or a 310 on base percentage, uh, he, he's going to do the Reds a lot, of, a lot of great things this year. And, um Another interesting side note as we talk about the Reds. Right now, in tonight's game, Devin Mesoraco is two for three. He's hitting 527. And it's he's only the, I think, the eighth player in Major League history to hit over 500 this many games into the season. And right now, if he goes 0 for 22... From this point on, 0 for 22, he will still be hitting 340. <laughs> That's is how good this, start this guy's off to. Is this what the Reds envisioned out of him when they drafted him, or is he playing over and above what they thought he would be? Well, right now, he's clearly playing way above what they thought. Right. What, what they did think is... And I think they're correct. He's going to be a very solid defensive player. He hustles. He, he, he talk about a presence on the bench. In a couple of years, this guy's going to be a very young Jason Jambi. He, he's tough. He's big. He's you know he's got an attitude, and he'll get in pitchers' faces right now. They expected him to hit 270, 275, hit 18 to 20 home runs a year, drive in 60, 70 runs. That would be great from your catcher. Of course, right now he, he's unconscious, but. Uh, I think the Reds are going to be pleasantly surprised with what they're going to get out of this guy the rest of the year. You know, he reminds me physically of uh, Mike Piazza. Yeah, I do. I do see some similarities here. He doesn't have a Piazza's bat speed, uh, but uh, you know, Piazza was a. I, th I thought Piazza was the best hitting catcher of all time. I, I don't know who was better. I mean, he was a much better average hitter than Bench. He, I think he had more home runs than Bench, or. Uh, pretty close to the same amount. Uh, but I thought he was a much better hitter than any, any catcher I've ever seen. By the way, the Reds have just tied the game. In fact, they may go ahead on a double down the left field line. So Frazier is around third, and I think he is going to score. We'll see. He does. No, he doesn't try. So the Reds okay. have second and third, and the game is tied right now. Well, Mark, since that lineup tra uh, change, Votto's hitting 429 with two homers and five RBIs. Billy Hamilton, we talked about him, coming into tonight's game. He was hitting 318 with five stolen bases. Mezzarocco, as you said, batting 526 with five RBIs. This is just since the lineup change. Frazier was batting 217, but he's got two homers and five RBIs since the lineup change. 
So, and Jay Bruce has done virtually the same thing that he's done all year. His average hasn't been that good, but he's still driving in some runs. So, this lineup has really picked up some steam. I think not so much since they made the lineup change, but I think it has a lot to do with Billy Hamilton and the way he's come on at the top of the top of the order. I do too. It, it changes the dynamic of the of the lineup and you know, I think Billy Hamilton will start getting on base more often than he has been so far. Uh, he, he's he's, he's going to hit a little more. But what that means is you have two guys at the top of the order that really set the table for Brandon Phillips and for the rest of the lineup. Uh, Joey, uh, not Joey Votto, but uh, um, Ryan Ludwig and, and Jay Bruce. What they need, though, they need that big bopper. They need one more guy uh, who can come in and replace Ludwig and be a real threat in that lineup. Now you're talking about a team that can win it all because they have the pitching. They're getting Chapman back. They got Sean Marshall back yesterday. Mesrocco came back off the DL two weeks ago. They're getting healthy, and they just need one more bat. And that, I I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know who's out there. Easy for us to say, go make a trade. But it's, uh, you know, the Reds are, are a scary team if they get another hitter. But you and I have talked, Mark, that Walt Jockety is not the kind of guy to go out and make a deal, especially at midseason. You won't believe what just happened. Uh, they they walked a hitter, that walked Ludwig, uh, to get to Devin Masaraco. And Devin wow. Masaraco just lined one down the left field line to drive in a run. There was an out at the plate. But why would you... Walk Ludwig to pitch to a guy who was hitting 529. Now he's hitting about 535, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, and and you know I was listening to to the um, Cub announcers over the weekend, and they were talking about Devin Mesoraco, Mark, and and we talked about this before we went on the air. And the one thing that they said Brian Price said to them when he was posed with the question, are you going to move Mesoraco up in the batting order? And he said, as long as we win, why should I move him up? I'm not sure I agree with that logic. Well, I think what they're trying to do is keep the pressure off this kid for the time being. They're trying to look at, uh, you know, he's still a young man. He, he hasn't, he didn't have the kind of year they expected him to have last year. And the question is, is he going to produce consistently if they move him up too quickly? They want to make sure he's got all the confidence he needs uh, before they um, move him up in the lineup. Because, it, you know, it does change a lot when you, when you move from 7th to 6th to 5th. But right now, he's unconscious. He's hitting 535, 537, and they can't get him out. And the Reds now lead 5-4. to four. Uh, in the eighth inning, you have runners a second and third with uh, with only one out. Mark, what has Zach Cozart done tonight? He is O forever. Uh, he, he is. I, I don't understand how you can look at Zach Cozart or even uh, Brent uh, Frazier, uh, Todd Frazier, and look at these guys and say, "Gee, those are major league hitters." They are not major league hitters. These guys have the capability. I'm not exaggerating. Both of these guys could hit under 200 this year. And yet, it's the entire left side of the infield. Then you have a a player at the top of the lineup that's going to hit probably 200. How can you possibly win with that kind of team? I mean, I, 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 love, well, their coaching, I love their defense, but how can you do that? Coming into tonight's game, Cozart was batting... 153, which leads me to my second idea of change for the Reds. Now, this one I doubt they will do, but I'm going to throw it out on the table anyway, so just in case they ever do it, I can take credit for it. What about moving Billy Hamilton to shortstop and putting Heisey in center? Well, you are giving up a lot of defense. Uh, he, he is a better True. defensive player than Hamilton, and it's again we get back to that ERA of the pitchers. Uh, Cozart is not a flashy infielder, but he every ball hit to him, he throws the guy out, and so that's that's what the Reds want. That's what their pitching staff wants, and it is a 
uh, a tough decision, but uh, yeah, you'd much rather have Heisey's bat in there than you would uh, the bat of uh, Zach Kozart. Now, is there a plan to keep Heisey next year when Ludwig's contract is up? Oh, yeah, I think that's the plan for next year, but <clears throat> you know, why would you wait? T- to me, the problem with the Reds is not left field per se. It's the left side of the infield. And I like Todd Frazier. He's a he's a good guy, and he plays hard. He's good at defense, but you can't have that many guys hitting 200 on your team. And Todd Frazier does not have a major league swing. And what's frustrating to me, Dave, is this is supposed to be major league major league coaches. And, and I look at Cozart, and I look at Frazier. Their swings are awful. You, you would think they would be corrected by now, but they're not. Why haven't they been corrected? Well, that's my question to you. Why haven't they been corrected? Cozart just well, is is Cozart. Brooke Jacoby still the hitting coach? No, they got a new uh, coach, Dave uh, Bill, Bob Long, I think. Long is his last name. And okay. Here's an example. Runners at second and third, nobody out. Zach Cozart is up. All he has to do is hit a ground ball or a fly ball, and he pops up to the catcher. Right. He, he cannot put the bat on the ball. And that's what I, 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 it just drives me insane. And now we have Heisey coming up. So, you know, why wouldn't you put Heisey to hit for him to start with? Why have him pinch hit for the pitcher? Why not have him pinch hit for, for Cozart? It, it makes no sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's the same frustration that I feel over Nick Swisher at times, even though I'm, I'm a big Nick Swisher fan, and I think the money that the Indians are paying him are, is well worth it. But the fact is is that Swisher, when he comes up with runners in scoring position, for example, tonight in the last inning, he's had back-to-back doubles in tonight's ball game, And then he came up with runners at first and third, Mark, in the last inning, and he grounded out to first base on the first pitch. Take your time. Just find your pitch. You don't have to jump after the first pitch, and that's what I talk about, the impatience that, as Drupal Cabrera is showing, some of the Indians, especially Bourne and, and Swisher, are showing that, and maybe the the frustration that they've got over their inability to, to follow through on a big contract that they received is hurting them as much as Cabrera, who's trying to get a contract that that they've got. What do you think Cabrera is worth in the open market? As far as money wise or player wise? Money wise. Oh, I think I think he's easily worth twelve, fourteen million. I don't think much more than that. Well that's probably what, a four or five year contract at sixty million? Right. Well. That that that's how that that's what I would think, yeah. Um now my feeling, Mark is that he's going to end up with the Yankees. To replace... Um, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, yeah. Now, I would not want to be the guy to replace Derek Jeter. Don't get me wrong. But I think he makes the most sense. They have nobody on that roster right now, and nobody in their minor leagues that can take over for Derek Jeter. Um, and he just seems to fit the bill. He's a good defensive shortstop. He'll take over for shortstop and probably be a better shortstop than Jeter has been over the last three or four years, minus the year that he was out with the ankle injury, of course. But he's never going to be beloved. There's never going to be another shortstop. Let's just call let, let's just call it for what it is, Mark. There's never going to be another shortstop in Yankee history that is going to be as beloved as Derek Jeter was. You know, it's hard to imagine that there's a, a player who has managed his career any better than Derek Jeter did. You never heard one negative thing about this guy for 18 years. Uh, he produced on the field. He was a good citizen. He, and I'm sure, you know, he has his own private life and all those things. But we certainly never heard anything off the field that would be anything but positive in Jer- Derek Jeter. He's smart. He's articulate. Well, he's good looking. And he did, he did everything right. Did you hear the segment that Keith Olbermann had one night on his show about Derek Jeter the night that he announced he was going to retire? I did not. It was outstanding. I've got to try to find the the tape of that 
and play it. One thing that he said, he went through a litany of things that Derek Jeter had done that people didn't realize during his career. But one of them was the way he kept the media away from the girls that he dated was his agent would let the paparazzi know where Jeter was going to be and with who, and they had five minutes to get their photos in exchange for leaving him alone the rest of the night. And they did. That's smart. Very smart. Uh, extremely smart. Another thing he said that Jeter did was he bought an apartment complex on the other side of town of where he actually lived, but all his, ma all his mail went to that apartment complex. So everybody thought he lived there when he actually lived across town. Yeah. Like I said, the guy handled his career pretty well. And to do it in New York, I mean, he's obviously set for life no matter what he does after baseball. But this guy has a pristine reputation. He's going to be making millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in endorsements the rest of his life. Uh, I'm sure he'll be, if he wants to be in Major League Baseball in the front office, uh, he will be. He can do anything he wants, and uh, I think a young player should t look at him and say, "Wow, what you know? What did uh, he do? I'm going to do." Let me be the first to endorse him as commissioner. Well, I mean, he he certainly has all the the credentials to do that, and uh, the, the irony is the Reds had a chance to draft him and, and passed on him. That's I'll never forget that one. No, you you won't. That that'll be one of those that is just going to go down in infamy. Hey, we're going to talk more about the Reds and the Indians, but it's time now to get into our Ask Us segment. You can send us an email or a tweet. Our Ask Us emails are askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. And, of course, you can send us a tweet. We've got two different Twitter addresses. One is at OHBBCoHost. That's just the letter B, OHBBCoHost, or at alt ult Sports Talk. Mark, we've got some questions here tonight, and Chris writes in about Homer Bailey of the Reds, and he said, Bailey's last two outings, he appears to have turned things around. What has been the key for Bailey in these last two outings? Well, I'm not sure it's the last two outings. Certainly yesterday he turned it around. Uh, he His slider, when his slider is right, He's awfully tough to hit, especially for a right-hander. And not that the, the the Cubs are the 1927 Yankees, but uh, he kept them in check. Uh, he still has not thrown as well as he can throw. Uh, but I, I, for I don't know if this gentleman uh, is a is a Bailey fan, but I've got a sneaking suspicion the Reds are going to make a deal for Homer Bailey this year. Uh, they can't afford him, and they can't afford Latos. If Latos is healthy. And Robert Stevenson, if those two guys are around and healthy, uh, I think the Reds are going to trade Bailey. And I think they can go after a big stick. They might even go after, uh, you know, a, a power hitter uh, and one power hitter in particular with the Dodgers. Uh, I think they may go after. And there's a couple choices there. But basically the Reds have a chance to, you know, to, to use him and to pick him up as, not pick him up, but to use him as leverage to get a, to get a hitter. And they said that Robert Stevenson uh, so far has thrown the ball over 100 miles an hour like 15 times already this year in a game. So he, he's he's the real deal. And uh, the Reds, you know, <laughs> have a chance to have a deep pitching staff without Homer Bailey. But, again, Mark, you're asking Walt Jockety to do something that he just doesn't do, make a midseason trade. Well, he's made him in the past. But I think this time he's going to be forced because of the economics. I don't know how you can maintain. And, again, a lot depends on Latos coming back and being as healthy as he can be. Uh, you you got to take, I think, you've got to take your choice between Latos and Bailey. I don't know how this team can afford both. Um, and, you, again, you also have the option of a guy named Araldus Chapman going into your rotation. So, you know, at some point, and they can sign Chapman for a heck of a lot money, less money than they can sign Bailey for, for an extension. So you've got the Reds' current pitching staff, which includes Bailey, but you have two guys who can, can come up there and 
do a lot of damage for the Reds in their, in their pitching rotation. So, and the Pirates just tied the game, by the way, uh, on a home run. Well, off Danny Para, God darn it. Who, who's got the higher upside, in your opinion, Latos or Bailey? It, it all depends on injury, because I think they're, they're primarily the same kind of pitcher. They're, they're fastball slider guys who can can go deep into games. They're big, strong right-handers. Uh, I, I just want to make sure Latos is healthy, and if he's not healthy, then you know, then you you get rid of him and you and you do something with Bailey, but you can't do something with both. And the fact that the Reds have Stevenson and Chapman, who can come in and those two guys, Steven, Stevenson and Chapman, they could be number three and four starters easily on most teams in Major League Baseball today, if not number twos and threes. So you're going to have seven starting pitching pitchers and wasting Chapman. I'm not saying wasting Chapman in the bullpen, but could he have done much better than the closers the Reds have thrown out there so far this year? I don't think so. Well, and normally we go back and forth between the Indians and the Reds, but since we're talking about Latos, PR14 asks, where has Latos been? Well, that's an easy one to answer, so I'm going to switch up this question for PR14. He's got the, the strained forearm, but last week he was going to undergo an MRI, Mark. What has happened? What's the diagnosis now on Matt Latos, and when is he expected back? The, the diagnosis was negative. He didn't have any structural damage in the elbow, and that, so... They said it was inflammation and some fluid in the elbow, probably caused by the surgery, but they they, they are dealing with that. They sat him down for 10 more days. So it, it's really likely that he's not going to be back if he does a couple of rehab assignments. It's going to be probably late May, early June before he comes back. And the fact that this team has, has taken off without him uh, because they've got great pitching from Alfredo Simon, an 068 ERA in three starts, uh, he could not pitch any better than he's pitched. Uh, I'm not sure anybody could. So, again, the depth with the Reds starting pitching really gives them the latitude to go out and do something with one of those arms and go get a bat. And that's what they need. They need another bat. Well, what about Araldus Chapman? I understood that he started throwing the live batting, live batting practice over the weekend. He did. Everything went well. And they're now thinking that he might be back on the active roster within a week or, or two, that he's going to get a, uh, a rehab assignment. And if everything goes well, and it's not, a, they said his arm is great. Uh, he's been working out, and his legs are in great shape. It's not his arm. Uh, the, the thing with him is going to be the psychological aspect. Of, don't forget, when he lets go of the ball, his all his momentum is going right toward the hitter, and he's probably only 53 his head 53, 54 feet away from home plate. And that's that's a dangerous, dangerous position to be. Uh, as hard as he throws, the power with which he throws, he's diving into home plate. And, uh, you know, another line drive back to the box that hits him uh, could be devastating to this kid's career. And that's what scares me. It's, it's not physical with him, obviously. He's got all the tools. But what can he do psychologically? And I remember getting hit in the in the head like that, and it, it does make you blink when you th when you throw again. Right, and it it may be in his head, Mark, until he gets another line drive hit right at him. And it may be, and God forbid that it hits him, because then right. it, you, you literally you you wince when you throw, and you and you you blink because you're afraid the ball's coming back at you, and there there are going to be balls hit back at him. And he'll be tested, and you hope he has, you know, the – what you don't want to do is flail, and, and and it's hard not to do it, but if you blink, you can't see the ball. You've got to follow the ball. Uh -huh. So uh, that that's the thing that, that, that scares me is not the physical, but it's the psychological. You know, I think I told you this a couple of weeks ago. The Reds have a lot – more brilliant guys than me that are going to be coaching him on how to get out of this. But I think one of the first things I would have done was put him out on the mound and just hit him grounders without him even throwing. Just hit the ball right back to him and try to get him into a mental state where he knows the ball is coming to him and, and he can actually field it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think that, that Major League Baseball 
and I, I hate to say this, and I, and I hope I'm wrong, but there have been so many little leaguers killed by a baseball. There have been a college players killed by baseballs. A minor league coach was killed by a baseball. I'm afraid that's what it's going to take, or a, a devastating injury where somebody has brain damage or something horrible like that before Major League Baseball does something with with the batted ball coming back at the pitcher. You've got to create a helmet for them that you force the pitchers to wear. And if they don't like it, tough. You're going to wear it anyway. Start them in the minor leagues with it. Start them in spring training. But, you know, uh, catchers, I remember in reading when, when baseball was in its infancy, catchers, believe it or not, did not wear a mask. And it was it was unmanly to wear a mask. Well, enough broken jaws and broken teeth and, and broken noses, uh, guys getting really hurt, they finally put on a mask. It, it's the same kind of stupidity that you don't have a pitcher wearing a mask. And, again, I hope something tragic doesn't happen before ba- baseball does something. Well, and, Mark, you bring that up, and I don't mean to make light of it, but we've seen people get hit before, but we had never seen, up until Saturday, the cover hit off the baseball. Yeah. And that obviously had to be a flaw in, in the, the sewing of that baseball. But that was kind of funny. The third baseman looked down at it like, what the hell is this? And throws this, <laughs> throws this butter ball over at the, uh, um, the first baseman. But they gave the guy a base hit on it. So, you know, they had no choice. Well, Donna's got a question here, our only question on the Indians tonight. And she talks about the middle relief for the Indians. And she says it just does not seem to be up to par this year. Should we be concerned, or is this just an early season thing? Donna, I can tell you right now that I don't think the Indians have anything to be concerned about over their middle relief. I know Terry Francona loves to have a deep bullpen in April because he knows the starting pitching is not going to go very deep. They're down to seven relievers now after dropping Blake Wood today. So they're down to seven relievers. These relievers are going to get a bulk of the action. They're going to get more work. They're not going to have as many days off now as the weather gets better. And I think you're going to see the bullpen for the Indians start rounding into shape. And it did tonight, Mark, because Cody Allen came in, shut down the Royals in the eighth inning. John Axford came in, got a 1-2-3 ninth. And the Indians have beaten the Royals in the first game of this four-game set against Kansas City in Cleveland. 4-3 Four to three here this evening. Jason Kipnis with the big two-run home run in the sixth inning that gave the Indians the four to three lead and the victory here tonight. I think Axford is going to be a great pickup for you guys. I said it earlier in the year. He was only one year removed from a what fifty save season, and uh, he had a spectacular season a, a couple of years ago. In fact, he's had several. So I, I would think that he's going to do you guys a lot of good and. Uh, you may have found your closer for the next several years. Mark, uh, that's it for our Ask Us segment for tonight. Again, be sure to join us next week for our Ask Us segment. It's always around 9.30, bottom of the hour. And you can send us your emails to askusordmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, I talked to you a little bit the, uh, earlier tonight before we went on the air. I got into... I guess I would say a Facebook discussion over the weekend with Casey Stern, who's the host of Inside Pitch on Thursday on the Major League Baseball Network radio stations. He also has a Sirius XM radio show. And Casey, I'm just going to paraphrase here, he started uh, getting upset at people over the fact that Albert Pujols, took the contract that he did with the Los Angeles Angels, saying that anybody who was given or offered that kind of contract would have taken it, and why would you expect him to stay in St. Louis when they weren't offering him that kind of money? But then he said something, Mark, that I thought was fairly interesting, and I want to pose this question to you. He said, Albert Pujols is a sure, a certain, First Ballot Hall of Famer. Now, I have invited Casey Stern to be on our show and discuss this. I sent him a Facebook message earlier today. 
The Facebook message I got back to him, Mark, was, I think I'll have to pass. He did not want to come on and discuss his opinion to us as far as Albert Pujols being a certain first ballot Hall of Famer. So I pose it to you. Is Pujols a certain first ballot Hall of Famer? If Ted Williams was not a certain first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, no, I don't think Pujols is a certain. And, and I think there's going to be people who, are, are they going to look at him with the same disdain for potential steroid use and color him with the same brush as everybody who's been through that era? I mean, look at him physically. Can, can, you, can you look at him and see a comparison between him and, and Barry Bonds physically? I can. He's bald, mm-hmm. he's big. I mean, he, he put on like 40 pounds in his last two years, three years. There have been accusations that he was on the juice. Absolutely no proof. All I'm saying is that there may be some writers out there who look at the physical aspects of this and say, wait a minute, uh, that guy, and, and here's why they may have an argument. Uh, his numbers were off the chart until they, until they started doing a lot more testing. And then his numbers have gone down consistently. I mean, he's, in the, he's right now he's pretty much of an average player. But during the you know ten years ago, six seven years ago, he he was a Hall of Famer. But I think that's going to be part of the voting process with with a lot of writers. Just the suspicion is going to let them uh, say no to Pujols. Mark, I'm going to give you Albert Pujols going into tonight. 498 home runs, 1,512 RBIs, and a 321 batting average. Just the three top three stats in his career. I'm going to throw out some totals to you. Here's one player. All right. 493 homers, 1,550 RBIs throughout his career, a 509 slugging percentage, but a batting average of 284. Do those stats belong in the Hall of Fame? Is that Andre Dawson? Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff. Andre Dawson's pretty close to that. Yeah, Fred McGriff. Uh, But Andre's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. I know. That's my point. Um, Andre Dawson, I thought, was a a fantastic player. And uh, Fred McGriff, uh, the numbers don't lie. I mean, why would you question why he's not in if Pujols is not in? I mean, why is Pujols better than McGriff? That, be- that's my point. Here, here's another one, another player. 396 career home runs, 1,445 RBIs, career batting average of 260, with a slugging percentage of 464, and two World Series titles. You got me. Joe Carter. Wow, I would have never guessed that. Joe Carter, two World Series titles, including only the second walk-off home run in World Series history. Yet he's not in the Hall of Fame either. And then, of course, you come to Bear... Look, I'm sorry, Mark. The Hall of Fame, to me, has no credibility until Pete Rose is in it. So the decisions they make don't surprise me. Uh, And... Uh, the lunacy of having a Hall of Fame and you don't have the hit king in it is just preposterous. So you wonder, you know, you wonder where these decisions come from, but uh, nothing is surprising to me anymore in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are both eligible for the Hall of Fame this January. They will have their five years in. They will both be eligible to be first ballot Hall of Famers. Do you expect... Either, both, or neither to be in, inducted. I think they will be inducted, but they won't be inducted on the first ballot. Um, uh, th- they'll get in because you can make the argument that both had statistics prior to you know being caught that would warrant that. But the question goes back to are all these guys painted with the same brush? And that's why mm-hmm. I bring it up about pools. And pools, I mean, I mean... Look at the size of the guy. He must he must wear a nine helmet, size nine. He's got a huge head, and that's one of the 
one of the major criterion, and I'm not accusing him of anything. I don't know. I, I, all I'm saying is that by the physical makeup of those who have taken steroids, he fits into that stereotype. So I don't know how anybody who has a vote would not look at that and say, hmm, inquiring minds want to know. Uh, I, I'm not going to vote for Barry Bonds, but I'll vote for Pujols. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, I, I don't either. And Mark, if you recall, when Jack Clark made his statement about Albert Pujols, and Albert Pujols said he was going to sue him, and ultimately did, if you recall, I said on this show, when that happened, Albert Pujols better be ready to take this lawsuit to its logical conclusion, or people are going to continue to believe that he was on the juice at one time or another. And what happened when Jack Clark supposedly came out and gave his semi-apology? Albert dropped his lawsuit. Sure. Um, he doesn't want that thing to go to court. No. And, you know, that's why I said he better be ready to take this to its logical conclusion because he better get into a court of law just like Barry Bonds did and prove to the world. Now, even though Barry Bonds went before Congress and a court of law and professed his, his innocence and basically proved his innocence, that suspicion by the writers is still there. So how can you have the suspicion for Barry Bonds and not for Al Pujols? And that was the basis of my argument with these people. But I only said what I said, that I didn't think that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer on Facebook. And then I sat back and I watched the arguments. And some of the arguments on this, Mark, I just don't know where these people were coming from. But then again, I guess... It's the Internet, and as Gary Oldman says on the HTC commercial, if you don't believe it, just ask the Internet. <laughs> By the way, I want to no. give a shout-out to a, a fan of mine, a fan of Last at Bat, uh, who has been a consistent follower of our radio program, and she is from uh, the U.K., uh, Wolverton Hampton in the Midlands. Her name is Pro Sullivan. Uh, is a big baseball fan, red lasted bad, has been to a couple of my book signings, and uh, wanted me to let her let everybody know that even though she's from the UK, she has turned into a baseball fan and uh, enjoys our show. So I want to let her know that I, I appreciate that and hope to see her at some uh, more book signings and some of our, our scripted programs. Now, is she here in the States? Yes. Yes, she's, she's okay. in, in the Dayton area. Uh, and... Uh, Went to a couple of my book signings, and uh, I'm glad that she's a fan, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for listening in. Mark, a couple more items. Uh, you know, I said at the top of the show we were going to talk about this Milwaukee-Pittsburgh brawl that happened yesterday, and Carlos Gomez, And if you saw Travis Snyder before tonight's game, he had a nice shiner under his left eye, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <clears throat> I saw that. <clears throat> and... Uh, I'll tell you, most baseball fights uh, don't end up in much. You guys pushing and shoving and all that stuff. But I remember uh, several years ago out in Arizona, uh, I was playing for a team called the Chicago Fire, and it was an over-40 team. But we had uh, we had some big boys in that team. Uh, we had seven or eight former Major League ball players on that team. And we got into a brawl with the guys from Sacramento. They had Jim Barr and Willoughby and some other guys who played for the Giants. And I'll tell you what, that thing lasted for about 20 minutes. And they had to call the cops. There were guys. I mean, there was, there was some. It was a much better than most fights I see in the major leagues. And I mean, there's some guys, you know, two fifteen, two twenty, two thirty, going at it, and they were paired off. I mean, it was like like a dance. You know, guys just paired off. Okay, pal, you and me right now. <laughs> and they had to bring well, out the, the cops had to come out, and they were they had uh, the pepper spray and all this stuff. <laughs> So uh, afterwards, and the funny thing was, afterwards we all went to the same. Unbeknownst to us, we all ended up at the same bar afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> and we were we were all laughing by that time. Like, you know, the big leaguers don't know how to fight. <laughs> well, I mean, this this whole fight was was 
out of the ordinary for a baseball fight, like you said. There were some haymakers being landed, especially Maldonado against Snyder. But the funniest thing that I thought, Mark, watching this, was Pittsburgh should have been thrilled at the way Gomez came out of the batter's box. They, because had he not, he may have had an inside-the-park home run. Well, they weren't mad about that. They were mad because he flipped his bat. And I think that's BS. I don't understand that. Uh, get over it. I mean, I, I, these pitchers, after they strike a guy out, you see him, you know, punch the sky and, yes, I got him. And right. Slapping the glove and all that stuff. And nobody says anything about that. And a batter flips his bat because he's watching his home run go 450 feet. So what? Don't let him hit it then. If you're going to be upset about what he does when he does hit it, um, make sure he doesn't. I, I don't understand that crap. And I, I think uh, the, the pitchers are at fault there if they if they give any grief to the hitters about it. Okay, second second thing that happened over the weekend was Jed Lowry of Oakland against Houston. This was on Friday night. The Astros put the shift on. Now the A's had already scored seven runs in the first inning. And there was still nobody out in the first inning. And Lowry, against the switch, drops a bunt down the third baseline. Now this upset Bo Porter, <laughs> the manager of Houston, tremendously, that he would drop a bunt down up 7 nothing. that this violated the sanctity of the unwritten rules of baseball. Well, Mark, there are some unwritten rules that are unwritten rules. But in the first inning... Come on, Bo. Oh, that's ridiculous. Well, then why are you putting a shift on? You're giving him a base hit. I mean, don't put the shift on, and he won't get a base hit. And seven runs in the first inning has been overcome many times in baseball, and you never have enough runs, and that's that's ludicrous. And the final thing, did you hear that Major League Baseball clarified their ball transfer rule that cost the Indians the first game against the San Diego Padres in that doubleheader two weeks ago? I did not hear that. Yes, they have clarified. In case you did not know, the rule was, and this is what happened to the Indians in the first inning of that game. Trevor Bauer was pitching. Elliot Johnson was in right field. He ran to his left, caught the ball in, his, in the glove, ran two steps, ran into the fence, bounced off the fence, stumbled two steps, went to grab the ball out of his glove to throw the ball to second base, and dropped it. Much like you've seen on the transfer at second base for a double play, he did this in the outfield. The umpires immediately called the batter safe. No catch. They went to the replay. Sure enough, they called it no catch, stating Major League Baseball clarified the rules before the year that an outfielder or a second baseman slash shortstop has to pull the ball out of their glove with their throwing hand and have it in secure possession for it to register and out. So prior to yesterday, Mark, literally the way they clarified this rule, an outfielder could catch the third out of the inning in his glove, run in to the infield to go to the dugout, Drop the ball out of his glove on the pitcher's mound, and it's no catch. That's right. That was that was I the way they that rule existed. And a lot of times, what has happened where a player will catch a ball, then run into the center field fence or something or the fence, and be knocked either unconscious or stunned, and doesn't display the ball. Theoretically, the the, the hitter is not out. Right. And But what Major League Baseball has done now is they have clarified this. And they have said now that if it is a secure catch, they don't have to pull it out of their glove with their throwing hand. I think they got thinking about this, Mark, in the, the dungeons of the Major League Baseball tape room or whatever and thought, boy, this is going to be a problem for shortstop and second baseman all over baseball, all year. We've got to do something about this, and they did. Well, the other thing that they have going for them now is they have the, the replay, and they can now determine unequivocally if an if outfielder and you know 420 feet from home plate, did he catch the ball or did he not? So that's, uh, you know, if you can't see out there, 
uh, you make the assumption he did not catch it. Now that now they have the ability to, to confirm the ball was in fact caught. Yeah, it was just just a goofy rule, and that's what cost the Indians that game against San Diego because that hit gave up two runs. Anyway, so the Reds have Pittsburgh tonight. What else do they have this week, Mark? Well, this is a tough series coming up. They have Pittsburgh uh, for four games uh, tonight, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Then they go down to Atlanta to pitch to, to face probably the best pitching staff in baseball right now in the Atlanta Braves. So this is going to be a grueling uh, challenge for the Reds over the next week. And the Indians, they've got Kansas City again the rest of this week. They won tonight, but they've got them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. And then thank you, Major League Baseball gods, because, again, we go out west and face San Francisco and the L.A. Angels. Just when the weather is starting to turn good in Ohio, Mark, we go out west. <laughs> Yay, so we've got the Giants this weekend. Well, good luck to the Indians. <laughs> good luck to the Reds, and we'll talk to you again next week, Mark. Good night, David. And that's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget to join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock when we'll talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. And don't forget to join me on Thursday night for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock where we are going to talk about the NHL hockey playoffs. That's going to do it for this evening. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, good night, everybody.